Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rock M Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK, Kylie, even five inches to my left. Uh, this is before the box score. This is your Louisiana Tech recap edition. We are coming to you live on Saturday night from my basement uh, because we're here to watch uh, the opening week of college football and reminisce about the football that we saw on Thursday. BK, hi. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Nate. It's great to be here. Uh, I appreciate you having me over and we can do this in person for the first time. Uh, this feels like my day job. I feel like I'm back at work and doing what I normally would do. And we get to talk about a win that I know there's some Mizzou fans that seem down. I felt pretty good about the win. We can get into some of those things as to why, but I liked Louisiana Tech to cover the spread. They did not. Mm-hmm. Missouri mm-hmm. instead covered the spread. I think that everything that you could actually learn about Mizzou in terms of the tangible things that we were looking for, most of those came out to be pretty positive in terms of the indicators there. There's some negatives. We'll get into all of that as well. But overall, I thought it was a really nice opening week victory for the Tigers. I mean, I think everybody on the site was just cautiously optimistic. Yes, we're going to win. Yes, there's going to be some warts. It's not going to be comfortable. Let's just get the W and see what this team is. And then, yeah, they go and cover the spread, put up 52. Uh, Again, Louisiana Tech, not the best team in the world. Certainly a cup low in any SEC competition, but that is the team they played. And there is something to be said for putting them into the damn dirt. So that was that was awesome. Um, really, when you're looking at this, you know, it was very cool to see it in person, by the way. Faro Field, go, go see a game this this year. It's awesome. Uh, but yeah, I just I think the biggest takeaway for me was that, yes, this team is definitely more talented than what we've seen a Drinkwitz team be in the past two years. And that was on both sides. That was uh, that was certainly the wide receivers. We'll get to Luther Burden eventually. But Dominic, love it, my lord. Uh, Towski Dove had some great catches. Uh, we learned that you know on the defensive side, Tyron Hopper. Oh my goodness, Martez Manuel with even one hand. Oh my goodness, defensive line. Hello, where have you been uh, the past couple years? So like it was it was clearly an upgraded team. And if you don't think that that's fine, but you're wrong. Like seriously, did, did, I don't think last year's team ever looked that competent uh, at any point. And this team came out and did exactly what they're supposed to do. So I just, this is an athletic team. And I think Drinkwitz was right and hinting at it all off season. BK, what was your biggest takeaway? The defense. I mean, it had to be the defense. You could see it right away. The speed that they have is just different. Tyron Hopper jumps off the screen. I mean, he is I think you can make a strong argument. Tyron Hopper, and this is no disrespects to Luther Burden, is currently the best player on the Missouri football team in terms of just like experience, ability to diagnose already, like just taking over that role as the middle linebacker and running with it. He did this year what we never really saw from Blaze Aldridge last year, where it just he he looked different than the G5 talent that was on the field against him. And that's what you want to see. Like that's, that should be the way that Tyron Hopper looks like in a game like that. So I was very happy to see what the defense was able to do. I looked this up because I was curious how much of the yardage for Louisiana tech came in the final quarter when they were mostly going up against backups at that point in time. And it was a good portion of it on their final three drives. They went 75 yards and then nine yards on a weird one and then 75 yards again. So they had 159 yards on their final three drives, fourth quarter on. They had less than 200 yards of total offense in the first three quarters. And at that point in time, Mizzou was leading 38 to 10. The game was over by the fourth quarter. It was completely out of out of range. 
And to be fair, like you'd like to see that not happen against Missouri's backups. It probably shows while they are better in terms of the starters, the depth probably isn't where they want it to be. And that's okay. It'll get there eventually, but this is baby steps. And Missouri is showing signs right now of having a defense that could be fun to watch this year. And maybe most importantly, having a defensive coordinator that seems to know how to deploy the talent. And that was, to me, the biggest takeaway in this game is, okay, you're faster. You have better players all over the field on the defensive side of the ball. And Blake Baker is super aggressive. I mean, you saw the zone blitzes immediately against a team like Louisiana Tech. And sometimes this is when you see the defense look pretty vanilla. So if they're doing that against La Tech, I can't wait to see what the game plan looks like next week against K-State. I said that exactly zero times last year about Mizzou's <laughs> defense uh, under the previous, oh, the last couple of years under their yeah. previous defensive coordinators. I mean, past five years, Missouri's defense has not really been the aggressive take it to them kind of type. I mean, Ryan Walters, God, we saw what happened to Illinois last oh, night. Just a completely. That looks like a Mizzou loss in every way. It really did. It's just like, okay, play, take it easy defense, keep it all in front of you. And, you know, Odom defenses hadn't that knack. Uh, Walter's defense had that knack. And then whatever Wilkes was trotting out there, just the, oh, let's play a seven shell and get pressure up. Okay, cool. Uh, we have just not seen that from a Missouri defense when they just elect to be aggressive because they can. Uh, I, there is going to, everything that's a strength is also a weakness, right? If you are aggressive, you're going to get havoc. You're also going to give some stuff up, which we saw one time from the starters when uh, Jelani Williams played the run when he shouldn't have, but it was also the first time they held on that, on that little keeper. Carlisle too. Carlisle bit yeah. on that, that play fake. And then it was just, it was over before it ever even yeah. began. But like that, that is part of that aggressive mentality. Absolutely. So you're going to see that against teams that have, competent uh, not that Louisiana Tech's not competent but you'll see that next week K-State you're gonna see a lot of it because they do a lot of that motion a lot of that eye candy a lot of play action you're gonna see a lot of that so you know you look at the tape and go okay here's where we screwed up this is how aggression goes bad but oh my god it's so refreshing to see that so I was a big fan of Blake Baker I knew he liked Havoc I loved what he did and man having a Tyron Hopper who can just go sideline to sideline and just blow things up is just Oh, it's so refreshing to see. It's just so refreshing. It, so that was nice. And you have pieces that you can use in unique ways as well. Like that star position that they had. Man, I, I was so impressed by the way that they utilized Martez Manuel. He's not a deep safety. He's just not. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Play to your player's strengths. And Martez Manuel, he would line up in the slot. He would blitz. He would play in a zone. Like... He was a chess piece for their defense in this game against Louisiana Tech, and that's how he's best utilized. He should be close to the line of scrimmage. He's going to be a guy that helps you against the run, and so you've got that. And then Dalen Cornell comes in, and okay, so a 6'3", 215 to 220-pound like mutant is now running around in the secondary as a second-year player, and you're looking around, and you're like, wait, where was this last year? Serious. They couldn't find any ways to utilize this specific player, and... and the answer was no for whatever reason. <laughs> and this year, that guy should see the field regularly. And then you you see those guys at that spot. You've already we've already mentioned Hopper. Then you go back to the safety position. Man, Carlisle is an NFL player. Uh, he he looks different. And I don't know if it's he's just more comfortable in this scheme. I don't know if the scheme allows him to have more flexibility. I I don't know what it is. Maybe he's just a year older, and this was always bound to happen for him. Whatever the explanation. That dude is special. The size, the speed, the ability to play through contact. I mean, it was 
I, I don't want to get over our skis here and say like this is going to be a great defense because I think they're probably going to finish closer to the middle of the pack. But that's that is a huge improvement from what we saw a year ago. I want to talk about havoc right real quick, okay. and then we'll we'll move on. Missouri against Louisiana Tech had a forty three point five percent havoc rate. You like that? Do you know what their highest havoc rate was last year? Oh man. I mean, it was the biggest issue that I had with the defense all year long, and it's why I hated the the one gap and the oh, all of it was just so frustrating to watch. But my guess would be like twenty five thirty. That was about the average. Their best was a thirty eight percent against uh, Central Michigan that first game. Wow. Everything else was five, twelve, fifteen, twelve, twenty eight, oh, ten. Like refreshing. Very refreshing. Yeah. <laughs> so that is the biggest takeaway. Just athletic improvement in the defense in general. And we'll by the way, yes. Final thing here on the defense. Um, and the havoc rate definitely plays into this. Do you know what they finished with? I know you have, you were at the game and you haven't like gone back through necessarily and done all of the numbers. Do you know what Louisiana Tech finished with in terms of their rushing output from on the night? <laughs> uh I haven't gotten in without sacks, but I think it was like 11 yards or something like that. 22 carries for 11 yards. Whoopie-doo. 22 carries for 11 yards. Last year's team was simply not capable of that. They they didn't have that in them. There would have been one long run at some point that skewed the numbers. Yeah. Like that Vandy game, right? You go back into that Vandy game and they played pretty well against the run for most of the night, but gave up like a 75-yard run uh on a touchdown to the quarterback. Mm-hmm. This was different. And that's that is something that if you look at any one individual number defensively, what is the sign that this is going to be a different defense this year? It's the havoc rate, definitely. It's mm-hmm. the turnovers, which you love to see, but also it's their ability to stop the run consistently from start to finish. Yeah, and uh, Matthew Downing is logged as five rushes for negative 13 yards. I think He was sacked three times, right? Mm-hmm. So two rushes, maybe you know positive yards. It's not going to be much more than 11 when the sacks get washed out. So that, yeah, that's that's huge. So kind of going over uh, what this team is and, and takeaways, you know, you, like I said, I was at this game, you were monitoring at home. You told me, and I saw in our Slack that there was a lot of uh, chatter around Brady Cook's performance and not all of it positive. <laughs> and obviously, you know, you, you, you react so fast to such small sample sizes as you go along. But I thought Brady Cook looked confident, looked calm, had good control. Uh, I don't know, man, like other than play calling, which is not really his fault. What, I mean, what were the bad things about Brady Cook's performance? I don't get it. I, I really don't like, don't get me wrong. He had the, the interception that bounced off uh, Luther Burden's hands. He's got to take a little bit off of that, but that's also a play that Luther Burden can and should make. And he will make most of those. And I think if you asked him in an honest moment, he would say, yeah, I should have caught that. It went right through my hands. Was it hot? Yeah. Should I have caught it? Absolutely. So there was that play. I know that there's been a lot of criticism of his deep ball and it wasn't perfect, but man, it's the best deep ball we've seen by a Mizzou quarterback since Drew Locke. Like, I, I don't think that you saw a whole lot from Connor Basilek that was exciting when it came to the deep ball. And or Sean like, Robinson. <laughs> yeah, Sean Robinson certainly didn't have it. And, and when you look back at what they had from Kelly Bryant, he, he wasn't a great deep ball thrower either. So I, I think that sometimes we get to this place where we're so spoiled as Mizzou fans. We've seen such high quality quarterback play over the years that you compare everything and like Cardinals fans do this with center fielders where everything is compared to Jim Edmonds or first base and everything is compared to Albert Pools. That is an unfair expectation for any player to have to realize 
The same is true at Mizzou, where everything is compared back to, well, he's not Chase Daniel. Or, well, he doesn't have the arm strength of Drew Locke. Or, well, even if he isn't those two guys, he's also not Blaine Gabbard. It's like, yeah, no, he's, he's not. But that's okay. Look around college football right now. There's like 10 to 15 quarterbacks that really matter on a positive side of things. And there's like 30 quarterbacks that you just want nothing to do with. And then there's most of the other guys that are somewhere in between. And Brady Cook calls, falls into that middle category of he's not going to kill you. He's going to be a game manager. But also what he does with his legs really matters. He has the ability to extend plays. We saw that with him doing the pirouette out of the, uh, the pressure. There was an unblocked blitzer from the left side. He recognizes it, spins around, is able to look downfield. And I can't remember if it was Lovett or Dove on that play that he connected with. But that's a play they just don't connect on last year because... Basilek was un incapable of doing that. So I liked seeing that from him. And overall, I just thought he was really solid, man. You look at the QBR, and I know that's not the perfect metric to, to gauge quarterback play, but it's I think it's indicative of where they are. He finished with a 72.5 QBR. You look at where Basilek was last year. He only had three games that matched that. SEMO was one. Kentucky was another. And then what he did against Boston College was the third that Boston College game was really weird because for the vast majority of it, he was good. And then it like went haywire late. But if you can get that version of Brady Cook this year, Mizzou's going to be better than I expected them to be. Yeah. 18 for 27. That's a 66% completion percentage. 195. Well, 195 if you ask Mizzou. 201 if you ask ESPN. Just whatever. That's the Luther Burden touchdown. Um, 7.2 yards per attempt is pretty dang good. And 66.7%, like, that is what Basilek was doing when we loved him in 20, right? Uh, super safe, super accurate. He And he didn't really force any interceptions like Basilek did. Uh, now, he had the one, which, you know, we've talked about, that's probably, it's just funky and weird. Ball bounces up in the middle of the field. That's always, that's that's a death sentence for a pass ball. Like, you don't want it to bounce, chumming the waters in the middle of the field, and, okay, the inevitable thing happens. Sure, you can maybe make a case that he shouldn't have tried that, but he is also has really great receivers and he's like, well, all right, let's take the, let's take the Ferrari out of the garage. Um, so, you know, this is the second game that he started. This is the second game that he has started and finished, but basically finished like, all right, working, working the Kings out. Like he's going to figure it out. So I saw nothing wrong with him. The touchdown run was awesome. He saw that the defense was flowing to the right and he's like, all right, I'm going left. And he just had not only the ability to recognize it, but the ability to run and the speed to get fast and get in there. And, you know, he did the little Johnny Manziel windmill at the end. Like I, I was all about that, man, all about that. Um, so I, I did not see anything that I was concerned about. He's not perfect. He's not ever going to be perfect. He's never going to be Blaine or Chase or James or, or, or Drew or anybody like that, but he's going to be Brady. And, if that is a 65% you know, completion rating with, you know, one or none touchdowns, 7.2 yards per attempt and a, you know, 72 75 QBR. Guys, with with this with this skill position core, you take that. You take that every time and it's not going to he's not going to win you games, but god, he's certainly not going to lose them. Do you know how many games Kelly Bryant finished with 60 yards rushing in for Mizzou? What would be your guess on that? Two. It was two. We right. just saw that from Brady Cook in his first real start for the Tigers. <laughs> like wow. what he does with his legs is a real difference maker. And I, I know that we've talked about it all off season and we're probably a broken record for most of the listeners on this, but 
I, you can't overstate how significant that is. Like the play breaks down and whether it's him scrambling to buy more time to find one of their very talented wide receivers down the field. And by the way, eventually I, I hope that everybody goes back and rewatches that game because Dominic Lovett has not gotten the recognition that he deserves, but Dominic Lovett was great. And Brady cook was able to find him regularly by going through those scramble drills. And then if it's not that it's some of the design runs that they were able to do with him, or it's the scrambles that turn into, okay, I'm taking off. It's third and seven. I'm going to get eight on this play and we're going to extend this drive. That stuff that is so incredibly valuable. Like those are leverage spots on a drive where the defense might be perfect. They might've played everything well. They've got everything covered. They've got the free rusher coming on and Brady Cook makes them wrong. And as a defensive coordinator, that is your nightmare because you can have everything right and it didn't matter because the quarterback finds a way and you've just got the numbers. The numbers are in your favor when you've got a quarterback that can do that. So, God, I I was really happy with the way that he performed. And again, I don't know what it's going to look like when the talent on the opposite opposition gets up a level. We'll see that next week. It's going to be a big test for uh, for Brady Cook and for that entire offense. but. If what we saw was real, and I have a feeling that that's kind of what you should expect out of him this year, this offense is going to be all right. It, it, it's going to have a chance. He's good enough to where we're now going to be able to evaluate Eli Drinkwitz as a play caller. And I think that's a big part of what this season should be about is finding out, okay, when he has a competent quarterback, what does Eli Drinkwitz look like? Yeah, I mean, I, I said before, uh, I've I've been longing for those NC State offenses to come to Mizzou when you have you know, multi-tool players who can do a couple different things, a quarterback who knows the system, who feels comfortable, um, and, and they can execute like Drinkwitz's full vision, right? The, the full the full book. And Cook's been here for three years, right? And he knows it. He's been practicing with it. It's the only offense he's known as a collegiate player. Uh, yeah, he should be able to do kind of whatever Drinkwitz wants him to do. Um, now you can, I can, I think we can all agree that the play calling was really weird to start. I don't know why you script three screen passes, but you know, and none to Luther. That, that to was Luther the Burden. strangest yeah. part was like, okay, you're calling screens. I get it. You want to get some quick plays in, you want to get Luther burden his touches. All right. I understand. Yeah. Three straight screens on the opening drive with none of them going to Luther burden. The odds of that happening had to be astronomical. <laughs> you would have made a lot of money in Vegas if you could, if you could, bet on that. <laughs> yeah. And maybe it was just, oh, well, they're probably keying in on Luther. So, you know, maybe oh, we're going to surprise him with Cody Schrader's screen pass, <laughs> uh, which, yeah, you surprised everybody, man. Congratulations. Um, but, yeah, I just play calling aside, you saw a lot of the stuff that we've I and I think most of the fan base really wanted. And it's because you have a competent quarterback and a decent skill core uh, lining up a wide receiver, usually Dominic Lovett as kind of like a fullback in the backfield and squirting out to the side. I love that. Uh, the orbit motion that they were doing, like I know that was a little bit in 20 and not got away from it last year, but like just the eye candy, the shifts, the motions, the like funky lineups, like that is what an Eli Drinkwitz offense is. And he finally sees comfortable to, to do that. And I'm really excited I don't know if it's going to be any good, but I think it's going to be very pretty. Yeah, and I think it has the chance to be solid. And I think if you ask most Mizzou fans, that's probably what they're hoping for this year is just give me signs of real progress, tangible progress of, all right, with Brady Cook as the quarterback, this is what they're capable of doing. And with Luther Burden out at wide receiver, here are some of the fun things that they can do to get him involved in the game. And I thought his usage of Burden outside of that first drive was really good. Like, 
you look back at the way that they utilized him, it was nine routes and on a go, which is great. You want to see him be able to get those opportunities for big plays, and he's going to come down with some of those. I, I, they didn't connect in that first game. They will. That There will be big plays by Luther Burden down the field. But on top of that, manufactured touches. Hey, we're going to use him in the Wildcat. We're just going to eliminate any way that things can go wrong here. Get the ball in his hands and let him go. And just let his natural playmaking ability take over. When you get close to the goal line, hey, who's our best player? It, there's a, that famous quote, players not plays, right? Yeah. And you want to get your players involved and figure out what the play is from there. That's what they did. They get down into the red zone. Hey, it's Luther's time. Like this is Everybody knows where it's going and they couldn't stop it. Three dudes between him and the end zone, five yards, and he breaks two tackles, has two guys that are dragging him into the end zone for three yards, and he finds a way to get in. So there's plenty of reason for optimism. One of the things that I would like to see changed, though, is the usage of the running backs. Yeah. Because, man, listen, <laughs> Cody Schrader is a really cool storyline, and I'm so happy for him. I think he should be a part of the offense. And I think he has a role. Maybe it's on third downs of, hey, we trust this guy in pass protection. We know that he's going to run the right plays, going to be in the right places. I get all of why a coach would like Cody Schrader. But Nate Peter starting running back. That dude has a different gear. And we talked about this during the offseason. I don't understand why he wasn't used more at Stanford. Maybe it's the same reason why he's not used very much right now at Mizzou. I can't explain it. But you turn on the tape. You strip off the names. Pretend you knew nothing about football. You could bring an alien down to earth, have them watch the 25 carries that were split between those two running backs, and they would be able to tell you immediately which one of them is better. Nate Peet should be your starting running back next week going into K-State. Cody Schrader, 17 rushes, 70 yards. That's 4.1 yards per carry. Nate Peet, 8 rushes, 72 yards, 9 yards per carry. I mean, yeah, no, no disrespect to Cody. Great story. You know, led all of college football in rushing last year. Transfers to Missouri is the one guy who's not injured throughout camp. Gets the starting nod. Cool, cool story. But he gets into a pile and he gets bottled up. There's just no getting out of that. And he really could not break to the edge like we have seen with, again, Tyler Beatty. That's not fair. But even Elijah Young, B.J. Harris. Nate Pete, they could get to the edge and Cody really couldn't. And that was the difference. Pete had the big rushes. Schrader had one that I remember, but everything else was just in the line for three, in the line for three. And that's cool. And that's, you got to take some of that with the running game. But you, when you see what Pete did, you even see what Young did three rushes for 34 yards. Like, man, this isn't a question. Like he, he, if he's a great pass blocker, put, like you said, put him in passing down situations. I'm fine with that. Um, but we figured out, we, we figured out who the, the running back is and, and it should be Pete going forward. I'm really curious how they manage that workload, especially next year, but certainly for, for the rest of the season. Yeah. He should be the guy and you, you figure it out behind him. And that doesn't mean he needs to get all of the touches the way that you saw last year uh, with Tyler Beatty. It can be a split. Like, I think it probably should be a split backfield this year. Where, so in this game, they had between their running backs, it was 28 before we got to the fourth quarter, basically 28 touches by the running backs. And then if you include everything, it was like 40, right, right around that area. Let's say they, they slot in somewhere around like 30 to 35. I think it should be like 15 touches for Nate Pete, like five for Cody Schrader. 
And then you split the rest among Young, Cox, Harris, and probably Young being the leading candidate there. I think he's a guy that just like, he's a really nice change of pace. He's got wiggle, he's quick, and I don't think they trust him. So I, when you when you add it all up, Pete should be the lead guy. He doesn't have to be the only guy, though. And I think this is something that Eli Drinkwitz is excited about. I think he's happy that he's got multiple players that can keep each other fresh over the course of not just a game, but the season. But Nate Pete should be the leading guy out of all three of them. And I don't know how you couldn't be excited about what you saw from him in that game because he he showed you everything. He showed you the electric ability and he showed you, as you mentioned, the ability to play through contact. And that's just something that Cody Schrader did not. No, well, and you know, the the phenomenon of of a running back taking 78% of the snaps, like that's a that's a drinkwitz at Missouri thing. Like at <laughs> NC State, his lead back would have like 60% of the carries, which again is a lot, but you're leaving 40% for everybody else. Um, so I, yeah, I don't think we don't want just a Larry or just a Tyler taking everything and, you know, hogging it all and, and getting beat up. Um, so I am fine, you know, 15 or, or, or 16 and then leaving 14 for everybody else. That, that is, that is a healthy way to manage your running back stable. So I agree on that. Now, part of the running game is also five dudes up front that make up the offensive line and heading into the season, we knew we didn't have Mike Mayetti. We were pretty sure we weren't going to have Hiron White. So Zeke Powell and Connor Tolleson step up. And uh, maybe that's the difference. I don't know. <laughs> the offensive line had its moments. The running backs had their moments. But just overall seemed to struggle opening lanes, holding their blocks. Uh, I don't know if it was a protection thing or an execution thing. But this was not the unit we saw at the end of the year. And other than just shaking out the cobwebs, I mean, is this something that we need to be concerned about long term? Yeah, uh, I, I, I think that. So I wrote the piece earlier this week on what we were able to glean from Missouri's opening week wins or losses, just their opening week games over the last six years. And there was always something that you could look at, both positive and negative. But we always focus on the negatives, of course. Um, but there was always something that you could look back on and be like, "Ooh, should have seen that one coming based on this from the opening week. If there is going to be something like that from this first game, I think that what it will be is the offensive line. I'm I'm not at like a five alarm concern meter. I am a little worried about it, though. Like, I think it's something worth monitoring, especially next week against Kansas State, where you're going to see that the talent gap be more significant. I, I don't know what that right side is going to be for you. And I was excited about Connor Wood and what he could potentially be for them. I think we are now seeing some of the limitations there. And it almost feels like they've got guys that are kind of platoon type of players, where this guy's really good in the running game. This guy's really good as a pass protector, and so on and so forth. But what they lack is guys that are good at both. <laughs> and that is nice to have, like a Michael Maietti, great at both. Uh, you look back at like a Larry Borum, was very good in both the run and the passing game, despite the fact that he was such a massive human being. He also was pretty good in pass protection, at least at Missouri. So I don't know that they have those dudes on the offensive line right now. And that is probably my biggest concern coming out of this game. I mean, we've said all off season, the strength of the offensive line is how many damn options that you have, which is cool until none of the options can just stay out there for a super long time. Like that's, that's not great. Um, I want you to, to hear this name. And, and just file it away for the next couple days. Uh, the name is Felix Anudike Uzoma. He is their 
edge rusher for Kansas State. You'll probably be teeing off on the left side of the defensive line, which is the right side of the offensive line, where our dear friend Zeke Powell will probably be lining up. Um, Felix is really freaking good. Also out of Kansas City, Missouri. You know, two-star prospect out of Kansas City. Um, yes, it's going to be a little bit more talented than what they saw against Louisiana Tech. And really, that entire defensive front is solid. So, um, yeah, it is a concern. Anytime you go up against a Power 5 defensive line, you should be concerned if you have questions about your offensive line. Um, I don't know what we do. We kind of have the guys that we have. There's no secret sauce here. Uh, you saw the backups come in. Armand Mimbu was the second tackle uh, on the right side uh, with the twos. Richard Taylor was the second center. So kind of seems like you don't have any good options yeah, past that. That's uh, the thing is like this is one of those situations where it's a concern and it's not going to stop being a concern because there are no internal answers. This isn't like when you have a quarterback question and you've got a guy that you're really excited about as the number two quarterback. Hey, put him in. No, there, there's no replacements here. This is what you've got. And if you're waiting for Hybron White to be available, I I wouldn't wait for that. I don't think that there's a whole lot of optimism that he's coming back this season. So you're just, this is our life for, for this season with the offensive line. And for what it's worth, SEC StatCat breaks down all of the individual plays over the course of a game. He said that Missouri's running backs averaged 1.8 yards per rush before contact. And that's typically a guide of how is the offensive line doing? That's not great. Uh, you want more than that, especially going up against a team like Louisiana Tech. I will be curious to see what that number looks like next week. And the other thing that we do need to keep in mind is sometimes a play caller will learn over the course of the first week or weeks of a season. What are the types of runs that work for this offensive line unit? Is it more the zone, inside zone in particular, something that this coaching staff really likes to run? Do we need to go to more man gap schemes? Are we going to do more uh, counters or pulling guards with the offensive line this year where you really are a downhill running team? It's possible that that's, that ends up being more of what this team does. They were very good on counter runs against Louisiana Tech. Was that about Tech? Was that about Mizzou? There's always that push and pull, but I think you'll probably see some more of that against K-State to find out. Is that maybe the way we need to lean with this particular offensive line unit? Could be. I mean, Marcus Johnson is very good at what he does. He is in charge of the run game, so like it's his call with Drinkwitz on like what they do, what they can do, what he feels comfortable executing. So he's got 60 minutes of tape to look at and go, yeah, can't do this, can't do that. <laughs> We've got to alter this. So I, there's, there's certainly he's going to be able to take care of it. Is it going to be ready for Kansas State? Frankly, probably not. You know, um, I don't think this is a 2015 scenario where Evan Bame got rolled up in like the second series and then uh, the, you know, Connor McGovern was injured and like the offensive line just fell apart. And then the whole season fell apart. And we scored nine against UConn. It's not that level of like, Oh my God, freak out. But you are playing in the sec. You are playing a power five team next week. It is absolutely a concern. And so what they alter, how they work around the problem, uh, that's going to be really interesting to see. And again, it goes back, put out Nate Pete. He's got the ability to yep. break a tackle. He can take a hit. He can get to the outside. He can compensate for some of these problems. And even if he's the worst practice player in the world, which apparently he is, you have to understand that you have to win these games. That's what this staff is. They, they put that as a premium. So I, I feel confident that they can 
put their guys in position to win, but it is going to have to be something to monitor as we go through the year. That's a really interesting point, especially because like you look at some teams, like if you were, for example, at like a Georgia and your offensive line is so overwhelmingly great that all you need is just a guy to pick up the yards that are blocked for him. And that's actually a really good spot for Cody Schrader. Yeah. He, he would succeed in such a role. And so if you had like the 2013 Mizzou offensive line, sure, maybe Cody Schrader is the perfect running back to be utilized in such a scenario. That is not the case for this team. There are going to be yards where it's the running back that has to pick them up, not the offensive line blocking for them. And so in this particular situation that Missouri's in right now, it makes it all the more reason as to why Nate Peet should be the guy that's getting the majority of the carries. I think that's a big part of this for sure. Yeah. yeah. So we've already talked about the defense a little bit, but I, I'm trying, I was kind of wrapping my head around this as the game was going on. You saw obviously Tyron Hopper do Tyron Hopper things. You saw Joseph Charleston with just the most active hands in the secondary that we've seen in a while. Uh, you saw Christian Williams surprisingly aggressive, uh, just thriving in the scheme. I'm sitting here thinking, okay, are all the transfers our best defensive players? I mean, Martez Manuel's up there, yeah. but like Chris Abrams drain quietly had a pretty, he good had a game pretty good well. game. Uh, he, I liked what he did on this. He was usually playing corner closest to our side of the field. So I was watching it and he did pretty well, but like the impact were all the transfers and I'm like, okay, I'm glad we brought these guys on because clearly this was what we were lacking last year. Um, but regardless, whether it's the scheme or the or the individual players, you know, the Jimmys and Joes, X's and O's, whatever, like, well, thank God we brought on Hopper and Charleston and Williams and all those guys because that that seemed to be the difference between this year and last it's year. It's just so much faster of a unit. Like from from top to bottom, they are just so much faster. And you mentioned Charleston. Like one of the things that I loved about the way that the defense looked, especially early on is they were creating that havoc, and not only were they creating it, they were then taking advantage of their opportunities. And that's something that last year were like, they, they had moments where it was like, okay, this, this might be heading in the right direction, but then whenever there was a chance to make a play, nobody would step up and actually make it. They would drop the interception, or the ball would be deflected up into the air, and there would be nobody in the area to be able to go take advantage of that. It always felt like they were like in the right place at the right time. Like they're creating havoc, and then they know that because we're creating havoc in this particular way, especially with pressuring the quarterback, the likelihood is the ball's gonna be in the air around this area. And they had guys in the area. And that's defense. Like that's that's what you want to see in a Blake Baker defense. So I think the speed was the biggest thing that stood out to me. Hopper was a big part of that. Charleston on the back end. But then I will also give credit to like a JC Carlisle who looked awesome in that game. And he's a big part of the speed element showing back up once again. But you're right. Like you look up and down the unit and look at the guys that were playing along the defensive line. It was Jaden Jernigan and Josh Landry and Christian Williams. DJ Coleman got some snaps and I didn't really see a ton out of him, but he seemed to play at least all right against the run. So you trust him to get snaps. Awesome. Great. That's what you want. Drayden Norwood played a lot for a guy who had like zero experience at any time in his life in a game playing cornerback. And I say this and it's a good thing. I didn't really notice him out there. Like I think he ended up with like 35 snaps of the 55 defensive snaps that they played. And I, you, I, I, we did have the conversation afterwards. Did Norwood play? Yeah, I think so. I think he was out there quite a bit. <laughs> I, th I mean, I, again, I'll admit I was watching Chris Abrams drain most often, but like I knew Rake Straw hopped off. I thought he hopped back on, but no, Drayden Norwood, 36 snaps, seven against the run, 29 against the pass. And he didn't log a stat. 
which means he is our shutdown corner apparently. Um, but yeah, I mean, geez, that's that's great. And he was a quarterback two years ago, uh, so uh, that's awesome. Uh, I, the the for me, the corners were always going to be kind of the hold your breath and wait position because they're just so dang young and like can you experience goes so far with that position and you didn't really see anything that made you go what i mean you had the blown coverage with the safeties or whatever but like i don't know man like i was very impressed and and that was that's an air raid offense kind of funky a lot of quick stuff some stuff over your over the top but like i the first test which i said if this goes screwy it's because they're connecting on passes and just matriculating down the field and they didn't really do that against Cad and Rakestraw and DJ or, uh, Norwood and anyone else that they trotted out there, and that <laughs> whew, that was that was great to see. It was, and like you look at what they had. Smoke Harris is a really good player, man, and that that guy would be a problem for Mizzou against most teams, and he didn't do a ton to hurt them. So I, I was impressed by what they were able to get done defensively. And again, we've mentioned his name a few times. Blake Baker is just, he, he is such a different defensive play caller than what we've seen at Mizzou. Really, I, I, credit where it's due, Barry Odom was this guy before he became the head coach. He created havoc. And then for whatever reason, he was like, yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. And he was like, we're, we're going to do this thing where it's going to be one Pattern gap. matching. Oh, I, I didn't understand any of it. None of it made any sense. But he just completely shifted the defense to something different. And this is the first time that we've seen an attacking unit and that will lead to problems. There will be moments where you say to yourself, what the bleep are they doing out there? But it will also allow them to create opportunities where they're able to make up for some of their deficiencies by just flying around on that side of the ball. So it was so much better. And aesthetically, man, it's just so much more enjoyable to watch when you've got a unit that is going to attack and they're going to try to make plays on the other side of the, the line of scrimmage. So for me, just as a fan of watching football, this is the type of defense that I prefer to watch. And I'm glad that Mizzou's made the transition. It's like it's like basketball with Mike Anderson, the you know, 40 yes, minutes from hell. It's more fun. Like, I don't care if you're good or bad. This is way more fun to watch. I am entertained when you go and like make things happen. <laughs> and you might you might give up big stuff. You know, that's also kind of entertaining in a dark way. But like you, it's the opposite of watching Virginia basketball. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. I, I don't need to see we're going to take the air out of the ball. We're going to play with 60 possessions in the game. No, please just play up tempo. Let's see what this looks like. What do you have? Yeah. Yeah. And so we, we are going to see the Tigers get roasted at some point. It's probably going to be by Georgia. You're going to see him give out some stupid plays. We saw it last week, but you're also going to see a lot of things go boom and you're going to see a lot of turnovers and man, three turnovers in the first half, right? Like it's just like, who, who are these guys? And nearly another, if yeah. not for uh, what was it? The pass interference or roughing the pass That's or right. whatever. That's right. Yeah. So like, I mean, whether it's powered by transfers, whether it's powered by high schoolers, whether it's powered by what I don't care. Like, if scheme or players like I don't, it, this is awesome. It was awesome. I felt confident when the defense took the field and it was, it was felt immediately. And, and it's just such a breath of fresh air from, from what we've seen certainly last year, but the past couple of years as well. So we've gotten pretty far. We've only mentioned his name once, but let's close it out with talking about Luther burden. I, I don't have enough words to describe what I saw. And his first touchdown happened right in front of me. 
And like you said, he absorbed two hits, kept going, and then just trucked his way through another two. Uh, the Wildcat was right in front of me. He can go right in the middle and barrel his way through there. He had a couple of passes at the tip of his fingers. Like The stat sheet doesn't give you any context no. as to how dominant it felt when Luther had the ball in his hands. In fact, that first Wildcat, when he scrambled to the outside, when he almost got hit for a loss and like converted the first down, that was that was the catalyst for that offense. Go, all right, let's go, and that's when they, it just it just clicked. Um, so I I have felt that way a handful of times in my life when I saw Jeremy Macklin play, when I watched Denario Alexander play. Um, this guy plays for our team. He's got a bag of chips named after him. Like this is awesome, and I I I just want to focus on this year and and the the plays that he has in the game because. He makes me feel happy about Missouri football. It feels confident that we can do things, and that's such a weird feeling for me. So I remember this is different, of course, but another guy that falls into that line of when you see it, you know, like this is different. Uh, Kentrell Brothers in his final year on campus, everything just clicked for him. It's like the game slowed down, and he was suddenly the best defensive player on the field. And obviously that's from experience and film study and all of those different things. This is just sheer athleticism. And competitiveness and will to just find a way to whether it be catch the football. There was that one out route that he ran. It was a five yard out. Uh, he was on the left side of the field and it was like right around the midf midfield range. And it wasn't a great throw. Brady Cook did not put enough on it. And when you're throwing an out route like that and you don't put enough on it, that can go the other way in a hurry. And it felt like right when you saw it come out of his hand, oh no, this is going to be bad. And for most other receivers, it would have been. But Burden attacked the football, worked back to the ball. It was teaching tape for a wide receiver and then fought through the context because the defender was all over him, caught the ball with his fans, hands, rather, turned it upfield and gained another 10, 15 yards. It's one play, but it showed so much about who Luther Burden is as a player. And I wrote it in the story. This is the way that I put it. And I, I it kind of goes back to what you were mentioning. The final line does not jump off of the page, but his playmaking ability jumped off of the screen. And that's how you felt watching him. It's just like, this guy is different than every other player on the field. And when you, you finish that game and you look back on it, it's like, man, Mizzou has a different level talent with Luther Burden on offense and a different level talent with Tyron Hopper on defense. And those are just guys they didn't have the last couple of years. They didn't have those kinds of difference makers where it doesn't matter who you're going up against, whether it's Louisiana Tech and they're just clearly better than everybody else. Or if you're going up against Georgia, they fit. They belong on that field and they will not be out-athleted by the guys they're going up against. So with Burden, man, you're right that the numbers, they don't look astronomical. But Gabe DeArmond mentioned this and I, I'm with him. I'm done tamping down any expectations on burden for this season. Like, could this guy be the next Jeremy Macklin? Absolutely. Could he be better than Macklin? Yeah, he a hundred percent could be. It should not surprise anybody that is, that is in his range of outcomes. And I just cannot wait to watch what they have in store for him because that was against Louisiana tech. They ended up winning that game by almost 30 points. Mm -hmm. What are they doing with him against K state? Because you know they're going to deploy everything they have available to potentially try to win that game the way they did against LSU, where it's like, hey, there's going to be trick plays all over the place. <laughs> We're pulling out all the stops. Mm -hmm. Luther Burden should be on full display in yeah. this one on Saturday. Yeah. Maybe maybe not in a Colt 45 with Towski Dove. Um, 
maybe we'll let that one slide. But everything else is certainly on the table. And, you know, you heard rumors from from camp that Luther was running the Wildcat and doing some, they were doing some interesting things. And you're like, okay, well, you know, we'll see it when we see it. And yeah, buddy, that was awesome. I can't wait till, I mean, he said in the post game presser, like, yeah, I'm never going to hand it off. <laughs> it's like, yes, I love that. At some point he is. And Mookie Cooper's just going to go. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, my only critique, I didn't see him return a punt and they had plenty of punts to do it. And, you know, Chris Abrams drain. Great. Just wave, you know, fair catch it, like whatever, that's fine. But um, I kind of have a feeling like that's going to be the next, that's going to be the Kansas State reveal where it's like, oh, Burden's returning punts now. <laughs> yeah. I also think they're going to, they're going to have something involved with him on the outside. Like they're going to have a play action shot where Burden mm. is just streaking down the sideline or they'll have like a double reverse, something like that, where it's just, oh, didn't see that. We didn't see that in week number one, and that's where they they have something. They will have set something up in week one that because they saw that on film, now something completely different is coming from that same type of package. Yeah, and Drinkwitz is an offensive guy. I trust him to do that sort of thing. He got away from the trick plays last year. I realized kind of thinking back, you didn't see a lot of trickeration like you used to in 20. Uh, maybe it's because 20 didn't really count. I don't know. Um, but you know, I, I can't wait to see it. I I'm still not happy about playing Kansas state at Kansas state, uh, from a nostalgia standpoint, it's great from a familiarity standpoint. It's great. But from a win loss standpoint, not so great. Uh, but man, seeing what they can do, seeing the things that they're willing to show in week one, especially when it comes to the old LB three, man, like I just, I am so excited to watch him play football for the rest of the year. I uh, it just it gives me confidence about this offense. As long as we have competent play calling like this, this this offense could be something special. Final takes on the opening game. What what is your top line takeaway from what we saw from Mizzou against Louisiana Tech? Man, I was just I would just say the, the top line takeaway is that Missouri was the better team. And there wasn't a whole lot of instances last year where we could say that. Yes, against SEMO. <laughs> okay. But, like, so often it felt like the, the, the team, the athleticism of the team was fighting uphill against better teams and scrapping wins and all that stuff. And we've said it before, like, the oversimplification lose, you know, of, of building a team. Lose big, lose small, win small win big. I'm not sure where we are right now, but I don't feel like we're at lose big. I think we've passed that. I feel like the athleticism and the experience is going to be able to go blow for blow for most teams on this on this schedule. And while you might not beat a Georgia and you might have a slip up against a team that you're like, what? I don't feel like this team is heading in outgunned. And the fact that one game tells me that either says that I'm an idiot and overreacting or number two, this this team is legit. And I'm leaning towards legitimacy because that makes me happy. And and I just that's something that we haven't seen for so long. Yeah, my in my my takeaways column that I wrote on um, Rock Game Nation, I said it's okay to be excited about what you saw against Louisiana Tech, and you should be excited about what you saw against Louisiana Tech. Uh, nine of the final twelve possessions for Mizzou reached the red zone. Now they need to get better at converting those opportunities and they will. They ended up with two turnovers in the red zone and that made the score look even closer than it actually was. Uh, the starting defense allowed an average of 3.5 yards per play through the first three quarters of the of the game. 
that's pretty damn good. You'll take that. Um, this is this is what you wanted to see against Louisiana Tech. You were clearly better than them, and you beat the heck out of them. And your backups were able to get in. Jack Abraham played the majority yeah. of the fourth quarter. By the way, it looked pretty good. It looked okay. Words too. Yeah. yeah. You had Dominic Lovett, who looks like a different player this year than he was last year. He's so much more confident out there, and that is huge for them because they needed somebody other than Luther Burden to be able to take that next step. You're just the talent deficit is not where it was previously, and that showed itself. The transfers on defense were real difference makers in week number one, and I don't think that was a one-off. I think those guys are just better than what you had on that side of the ball. Your defensive coordinator is fun and exciting and runs a defense that we want to see. So for me, my biggest takeaway was I do think that it tangibly changed the outlook for the season with what we saw in week number one. I think you've got a real chance against K-State. K-State will and should be favored, but you've got a chance. It shouldn't shock anybody if you win that game. You get later on into the season, if Florida's not what people think they are, you should have a chance in that game. Case uh, Kentucky, I you mentioned it, you think they're a house of cards? You should have a chance in that game. Same thing should be true against South Carolina. So, like, you look at some of these swing games, and they swung a little bit closer in your direction. Even if you're not going to be favored in them, instead of being, like, 10 to 14 points going in the other direction, maybe now it's a one-touchdown game, and anything can happen in one-score games. So the hope is that that ends up stabilizing and you continue on this trajectory after K-State and we'll have plenty of time to be able to get into what K-State's going to look like because that's, that's going to be a fun game, man. I'm really looking forward to it. I certainly feel a lot better about it now than I did 100%. two weeks ago, but yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be very interesting. So yeah, that's the show for today. You get a big old recap show this time just because we're so dang excited. <laughs> uh, but yeah, as always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or you can rate us. We love all types of feedback from you all. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. And of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U.